Is maybe the night that my dreams might let me know All the stars are closer All the stars are closer Tell me what you gonna do to me Confrontation ain't nothing new to me You could bring a bullet, bring a sword, bring a morgue But you can't bring the truth to me Alexa, play Kendrick Lamar and SZA Okay With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need Get tens of millions of songs Download the Amazon Music app today Let's do it. All right, here we go. Matt Chatham, Real Thing Patriots podcast. Exciting week as always, but even more exciting this time around. We got the Packers coming to town. Sunday night football on NBC. Get to see a little Rodney Harrison on TV. That's always fun watching an old teammate breaking it all down before and at halftime and after and whatever that may be. Uh, just good when those guys are back in town. So get to see those dudes and get to see uh, a fun broadcast of a big-time game, primetime, the whole world watching here in Foxborough. Can't wait to get into this thing, guys. Um, this is an exciting game, and I, I completely understand, and I don't mean to denigrate if, if it comes off that way, then that's that's really not my intention. But the, the notion that a lot of the enthusiasm, and I get it, but a lot of the enthusiasm surrounding this week has to do with Tom Brady, and Aaron Rodgers. That's it, right? And, I, and I, okay, that's fine. If, if that's the universe you live in, uh, I, I completely get it. If that's how you consume sports, if that's sort of the the ninety nine percent value you found in a game is the quality of the quarterbacks that happen to be playing. God bless you. That's okay. I, I have a little sort of a tickle at the back of my neck that that tells me that if you listen to this particular podcast, there's more to it than that for you. Uh, and, and that's really the kind of viewer I'm interested in. But it's not as if the, the quarterback watchers are, uh, you know, an unwanted breed out there or something like that. They're a very important part of the whole the whole NFL universe. we got to sell a lot of tickets, get a lot of eyeballs, and I get that that slice of the appeal is big for some people. Uh my wife, love her to death. She may be more interested or more aware of that part than all the other stuff going on. But we're looking into some stuff here uh, where really my enthusiasm here is driven by a cool matchup in, in, in two teams. Really, the organization thing is kind of fun to me. Green Bay's a, you know, I'm from the Midwest, so not necessarily a Green Bay guy. I mean, I lived in Iowa, grew up in Sioux City. Uh, so, you know, we kind of sit in no man's land, you know, there's a lot of Packers fans, but there's also a lot of Vikings fans. There's a good amount of Chiefs fans, even some Bears fans, you know, you get some people that, that turn their attention out West, uh, to some Broncos stuff. So you really get a little of all of it, uh, where I live, but the Packers are a big deal. You know, the Packers are a giant brand in the middle, in middle America, as big as the Patriots have become out here, as big as in the South, the Cowboys are, and as big as... No, nothing out west. So working on that. Maybe the Rams become that. We'll see. But uh, the point of this is it's more for me the big organizations. And and a little of the luster's gone because the Packers have stumbled a bit this year. But eh, it's not that much luster gone. It's still a very, very important game, especially with the Packers kind of reeling is the wrong word, but uh, reeling off some losses, and, and they happen to be close losses. So it's, you know, it's not as if they're disappointing as they're, like, you know, playing terribly and getting blown out. It's just that they now sit at three, three and one, I believe it is, and so you know, so four times they've taken the field and four times they've not won, and you know, again, back to the quarterback thing. I think we came into the season with a lot of people thinking the Packers ran it. People by default do that a lot each year. You know, you see the power rankings before anyone's even drafted or even started the season or whatever it may be. 
And the Packers always get thrown in that conversation just by default. It's like, well, I'll throw them in there. They still get Aaron, you know. But football is so much more complex than that. Where they're going to be in the sort of the final thing isn't even determined today, clearly. Uh, but the, I think they're fun in, in that it's a stable organization, right? It's something a little like the Patriots in that, you know, now obviously I'm not being entirely fair to all the other organizations because they have quarterback stability, and that certainly does help things a lot. But it's it's a stable organization relative to the quality of play they're generally going to put on the field. They're generally going to put out something that's close to being a winner. Maybe not the highest of high winners, but competitive, good, tough place to go and play. Big brand that travels. Uh, a lot of people that you respect just generally from being a, a fan of football. And, and when those two types of teams meet, it's, it's always just fun. It's entertainment at the end of the day. And that's, it's, you know, other than just simply cheering for who you cheer for, the product needs to be entertaining. And I think because both these teams are good at other stuff than just the quarterback part, it makes for generally good games when they're involved. So this is going to be fun. Uh, I wanted to do this show. Obviously, I'm doing this uh, right here for the weekend, uh, heading into a Sunday night game. And I wanted you to listen to this almost as if it were sort of a pre-game show, a pre-gaming on the Packers, a little bit of a preview of them and some of the things and really synthesized down to the a few things, just a few things that I really wanted to highlight that I thought were super important that may make it past your radar if you just consumed, you know, local media like I do. Uh, you know, I, I work in local media, I work on Ness, and if you saw some of my segments, I may have touched on some of these things a little, but we're in and out pretty quick. And, you know, if you're watching any of the other local channels, you're reading any of the local outlets, uh, a lot of these things we'll talk about here in the next three minutes, you may have heard them referred to, but maybe just not done in the same depth. I want to talk about the details I think might actually decide this thing and maybe bring up a few angles you haven't heard of uh, leading into it. And, and I think a big part of that is, uh, I'll refer you back to my column because I'm not going to regurgitate my column to speak back to you on air. But hopefully by now you're a, you're a, a member with the Athletic. It's super inexpensive. I think it's like three bucks a month, something like that, three, four, some dollar. Actually, I probably should know that if I'm I'm shilling here, but <laughs> it's not terribly expensive relative to the quality of content you get. Jeff Howe put an awesome piece there on this on there this week uh, about that old intentional. The old intentional safety that we took against the Broncos out out in Safeco when it was new or whatever, Invesco, was that what it was, Safeco? I call it after a grocery store in my bed, but the Denver place, it's no longer mile high. Um, anyway, the, the, when Lonnie Paxton you know, chucked it up into the air and hit the, hit the goalpost, and we took the intentional to take the knock on points just to get back the field position, then we drove and ended up winning the game So after a stop. So that was a fun story, and that's really indicative of the kind of stuff you're going to get. Something a little deeper, something that maybe looks back, something that makes you put your eyeballs somewhere you don't want them, that they otherwise wouldn't be if you're just simply riding the wave of, of news items throughout the day or throughout the week. And, and I try to do that in my column this week a little bit, and I'll just simply hit on the high points. I don't want to go through it but uh, you know, piece by piece, but there are some of those things that I think will really – really matter quite a bit in this game that I wanted you to have some exposure to as you sit down to watch. You grab the big bowl of popcorn, you, you know, get your beers ready, you're doing whatever you're doing. If you're at the game, you're just wild and crazy and having a good time after the tailgating you've done, obviously. Uh, but you're going to watch the quarterbacks right. They're going to do their thing. Yeah, you got to have presume at this point both to play pretty well because they're they often play pretty well, right? So I wanted to look at some of the other stuff. And I think if some things hadn't happened last weekend uh, in that Rams game, what I would be talking to you about would have been wildly different. But 
like a lot of you, I didn't have anything to do on Sunday. I didn't have to go to Ness until the evening to break, you know, to sort of wrap up on all the games of the day. Uh, but during the afternoon, I sat around and watched TV like y'all. I sat around and watching games. And those, those are fun because Patriots playing on Monday night, so you get a chance to, to, to consume a different way and just kind of look at teams. And fortunately for us here locally, uh, the Packers and Rams were on TV. So we got to watch that thing start to finish without having going to my MFO game pass and all that. So the first half of football, though, if you sort of set aside and cut out a giant slice of the Packers' uh, you know, season thus far, independent of that game, defensively, they had some weeks where they were okay, had some weeks where they weren't. Uh, it hasn't been clean. I mean, you don't get to 3-3-1 three, three, and one by, by just knocking out of the park. doesn't mean they were poor. doesn't mean they were great. Uh, it just means that there's work to do there. Uh, but if you just flipped on for the first time and checked out the Packers in their first half against the Rams, who, you know, other than maybe the Chiefs and neck and neck with the Patriots, those are three of your top offenses in the whole NFL. Uh, they're, they're finding a way to do it, flying the ball around the park. And uh, and scoring a lot of points. So for the Packers to come in, hold them to eight points in the first half, a lot of frustrating drives. You could tell that, you know, they're going back in the sideline and trying this, that, or the other because they, the Rams struggled, and and the and the work the Patriot or the, excuse me, the Packers did in that half had a lot to do it with it. So you know, if you're a Patriots fan or a Patriots analyst or someone sitting back here, you got to go, okay, well. Shit, am I going to go? You know, I going to go quote rankings of the Packers' defense from the first two months. Am I going to quote some reference to a game they had five six weeks ago, or am I going to look at the most recent thing against probably one of the you know closest high competitions you get and look pretty damn good? And even in the second half, although they started to you know regress to the mean, I guess a little bit. And I'm not saying it's necessarily the Packers regressing, just more the the Rams with more time and more drives to figure out what's going to work for them. They chipped away. And had a pretty good, nice, you know, it was like a 20-ish point uh, second half outing to get them up to 29 or whatever it was, 29, 27, I think that's your final. Uh, but anyway, they, 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 they figured some things out, had a couple better drives. But I still came away from that gun. okay, there are pieces there. That's a group that can stand in front of a, a top offensive fighter and, and take punches and give punches and be a problem. So if you're a Patriots fan, you need to take them very seriously. Fuck the rankings. Fuck whatever their stats say. I saw that. Though it's most recent, and it's not like a complete outlier because the Rams are what? A multi kind of group. A group that gets a lot of life out of their back, both as a pass catcher and and just a dynamic guy inside, James White, uh, and, a, and, and a quarterback that distributes the ball to a lot of different people. To Robert Woods and, and, and to Brandon Cooks when he's healthy and, and Cup, who hasn't been healthy, and and some you know cabal of a few other young guys, so they 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 move the ball around to a lot of people, and Goff does a nice job. He's no Tom Brady, but it's enough of the spread element, variability, a lot of different, uh, just a lot of different approaches, a lot of different kinds of plays, and you say, hmm, that's relevant. That'll be a little bit similar. The Packers aren't going to have so dissimilar of a preparation leading into this week as they did a week ago, and they handled at least half the game really, really well. So what does that have to do the Patriots? Well, there were some things in the column I wanted to t- that, I, that I touched on, and I'll just bullet them here as opposed to spending a bunch of time on them. But I looked really hard at, at, at a couple guys that I got a lot of respect for, uh, and that's – and that's uh, I'm going to say it, and I can't, I can't spit his name out. Clay Matthews, and then Blake Martinez. Blake Martinez, and, and it's cool here that we're really dealing with two names that if you don't follow that team at all, you may know one of the two. I, I predict most, most of you expect that most of you would obviously know uh, Clay Matthews. He's been a stud. He's got the hair. He's in the commercials. He's a big name, family, 
lineage is incredible in this game. So, you know, Clay Matthews. Clay Matthews, big name, big brand, uh, big-time player, older player now, but, you know, not old, but older. So, you know, you may not see him in the headlines quite as much, but if you watch his game, the guy can still play. And, you know, I kind of wondered that as I sat down to watch the coach's copy and watched the th- full thing back. And, you know, is he still out there doing some stuff or is he a more limited player? And when you see, he reminds me a little bit of Mike Vrabel, you know, who's now the head coach of Tennessee Titans. But Vrabel was always that guy that, that you know, he's he had a harder time, I think, getting Pro Bowls and, and all Pro Nods in part because he wasn't allowed to just do the same thing play after play after play, which helps you accumulate stats. He's a guy, a little bit like Matthews, that shows up all over the defensive formation. Like, Vrabes and Matthews sometimes might be an edge rusher on the left side. Sometimes might be an edge rusher on the right side. Sometimes might be screwing around, discoing, uh, disguising over over center as if they may come and then drop out as a low-hole player. Uh, and then Clay Matthews also plays as an off-the-ball inside guy in nickel and sub stuff. And he roams. You may even see him out in seams occasionally as an outside linebacker off the ball doing stuff. But he's kind of everywhere. And, and it's really hard to accumulate a lot of stat X if you need it to be somehow league-wide considered something. And that was really something I think Rabel's dealt, Rabel's dealt with quite a bit. Because Rabes did everything. He did everything with us. He was so important. Him and Willie were so good opposite one another. But then there were times where... I'm coming in, or Rosie's coming in. Rosie was over there a lot on the right side, and Vrabes would slide back inside and play Will Linebacker, or Mike, for, for many weeks. And he's just all over the place. And that's really a lot what Clay Matthews is like for the Packers. So I got a lot of respect for those kind of players, uh, body types that are versatile enough to do a lot of different things, and they do everything very well, and that's Clay Matthews. You kind of got to have an eye on where he's at. One moment, he's out there rolling around in the middle zone in a hook area or something like that, and you you see him sneak and pop out of a line and be in, in the lane of a passing play, and maybe he's tipping a pass or maybe he's getting a pick. He's the kind of guy that, you know, well, and again, the next play, he's rushing you right <laughs> off your periphery, to your right or left side. So he's everywhere, and, and that's those are the kind of guys you have to have an, an eye on. You have to – defensively, you have to account for them. You have to locate them, know where they're at. Clay is still that kind of player for me, at least in just watching a few games. So – and then I look at Blake Martinez, and I say, Blake, you know, he, you know, again, I'm doing this old guy stuff where I'm just relating to players that maybe – Half this audience remembers. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the age demographic of my audience. Maybe I should look at the uh, the analytics a little better. But uh, anyhow, uh, Blake Martinez reminds me of Zach Thomas, and and I'm actually saying this without checking Blake's uh, measurables. I didn't do some sort of Google search and look on him, or I'm just saying watching him, looking at him, he doesn't look to me like a two fifty over six two electric four type guy. He looks at me, maybe I'm guessing here, and maybe I'm dead wrong, so maybe there's some danger in doing it that way. But he reminds me of a closer to six foot, closer to 230, or maybe 240, whatever, but a guy that, that thumps and, and has range. He, he moves quickly. He's, he's a quick first step. He's a quick to a spot guy. He roams real well, too, but he seems stubbier, uh, but definitely a playmaker. And, you know, when you see a guy that's just, that accumulates, that he's always around the ball, those are the kind of guys you got to pay attention to. And, you know, I'm not touching here on Mike Daniels. Mike Daniels is one of the more, yeah, is is a is is probably one of the if there were sort of a a difference between the quality of the play and the the level to which you know a guy's name. Daniels is probably right up there. He's not quite Aaron Donald out in, out in in, uh, in L. A. But who is? But he is is a close to a near Pro Bowl every single year should be anyway or All Pro type guy on the inside. He's just disruptive. He does a lot of things. He's a really good player. But he really doesn't have that name cachet. You know, you you, you know Indomitian Sue. You may not know 
Mike Daniels. And, and Daniels is, is a really high-quality player uh, on the inside. Uh, but I say that, in and in, in this was sort of to, to pump up Blake Martinez. Blake's not a name you're going to know, you know, unless you're you're big heavy in the NFC North and really know this guy. But you watch tape, and uh, you just you look for the guy that shows up, the guy that's around the ball a lot, the guy that's roaming, the guy that's causing problems, the guy that's getting the quarterback's attention a decent amount of time. And by that I say, you know, he's he's eyeing him. He sees him dropping an area, he goes elsewhere. He's he's trying to move that guy and because he's in the middle and causing problems with his shoulders, with his eyes. I, I think he's a guy that, that Brady's going to have to be leery of. I think Brady is going going to need to either go to places where those two aren't lingering or move them if they are lingering and then create new vacancies with, with the work that he does with his eyes and shoulders. So some guys there to keep an eye on. Uh, I obviously talked on, on the column about uh, inside rushes. So if you're looking at the offensive line play, you see a replay in the game tomorrow. Uh, you see some sort of uh, inside move that wins. And inside means, you know, if I'm playing right guard, it's to my left side. If I'm playing right tackle, it's to my left side. If I'm playing left guard, it's to my right side. Inside gaps. Those matter because that's a more direct line. You know, it's the old geometry thing. Just the, the you know, the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. That whole thing. If you're aligned in a certain way and you want to run the edge, well, that's you're running the hoop. You're running a longer path. If you can get the tackle to set out or guard or whatever it may be a little bit higher, run a straight line to the inside, it's a shorter distance. It's, it's getting right there. You've really got to protect hard to the inside when you're protecting for a guy like Tom Brady. You look at Perry. He's Nick Perry's the other, the other outside rusher uh, for the Packers. More of a strong arm, long arm. I don't see him as quick or as sudden or able to just, you know, out-athleticism an edge, if that's a word. If I make that up. But, uh, you know, there's there's some good players throughout that group. Clark's another one in there uh, that you'll see across the front that can cause some problems. If you just want to go with a simple theme across the board, let them go to your outside. Don't let them, but ride them. You know, contact them, create the pocket, create the funnel. If you start seeing guys diving inside gaps, crossing face, getting to their inside – is you know the, the the Matthews clip that I showed in the column, um, that, that's a problem. So you're going to want to keep an eye on that. Now, one of the other things I looked at was pressure and how they handle pressure. I think it's going to be very big in this this Patriots Packers game. How you handle Mike Pettin's pressures, and not just that you know whatever they be, whenever they come, but more of the third down stuff because that's really kind of when he just says, uh, "I'm tipping my hand. I don't care if you know I'm coming." Right, and, and even in third and longer situations, it's a little bit surprising when you're willing to come in third and longer. That's generally saying you're trying to force it out early to tackle before you get to the distance. It's not so much the consideration of uh, you can even get the completion at all. Uh, and that's a little bit different. All coordinators don't think of it that way because you might be forcing a quick early completion and then putting some pressure on yourself to tackle. Uh, and, it, you know, every time you pressure, it's a little bit of a gamble. And, 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 you know, I saw some stuff last week with golf, which quite frankly might not translate because I think most coordinators, and again, Penn's obviously going to have a – have a history here because he's played against the Patriots a number of times when he was in the division. Uh, but are you as willing uh, to pressure? And he's a third down pressure guy from what I saw. And again, just a couple that I watched, but is heavy third down pressure guy, not just third and four, not just third and six, not just third and mediums, but third and 11, third, nine, you know, so he's willing to come after you. So you got to locate that fifth, possibly a sixth, and you got to get it out early to either hot, which is some sort of adjustment that Tom needs to make and be on the same page with the receiver. So he makes that same adjustment, or he's pre-changing the call and bringing in the extra protector, and that protector's a check-release guy, or the back gets out quickly, or whatever the hell it is, right? Somehow, some way of accounting for the pressures, being sharp in those, Brady typically is, but that'll be the challenge with this particular group. 
Um, again, I'm not going to sweep straight through the column, but one last little point that I wanted to hit on offensively that I'm going to be excited to watch is there's been this sort of burgeoning thing out there in, in sort of Patriots land and really the, the greater NFL land, and a lot of things that I think this pours over into fantasy football, waiting at your seat, when is Josh Gordon going to break out? And break out meaning some monster DFS play of over 20 points, 25 points or something, because the guy gets a score or two, and, uh, you know, six or seven or eight catches and gets himself over 100 yards, all that stuff. The the big day, right? And he's really had a little of both. He's had the touchdown, but not on a day with high, super high production overall. It was just sort of the, the Hail Mary thing. He's had a few extra catches and then broke out but didn't score on that day. When is it going to be all put together? The guy catches eight balls, goes for 140, has a touchdown or two. When's that day coming? And one of the routes I wanted to highlight, and again, I'm, I'm sending you back to the column. I'm shilling with you a little bit. Uh, but it's something that we can also talk about here, and, and you can get hopefully just about as much value out of it if you're going back and watching the game, is these kind of routes where you put him in ISO. Why is ISO important? Uh, ISO means, obviously, isolation. isolation. And isolation and in, in route running to me is – when you extend someone from the formation, or even if he's tighter to the formation, but he's an X or a Z, Z being off the ball, X being on the ball, but you're 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 not, you're away from where all the other visual distractions are, and what that means is, you know, obviously there's eligible receivers left and right of center. There's some extended one side, some extended the other. ISO simply means you're you may be on that side by yourself. There's not another guy out there with you because with another guy comes another coverage player, may bring the attention of a safety over the top of you, but using Josh Gordon in an ISO. And it's, oddly enough, it was Brandon Cooks that showed up in some of those situations uh, for the Rams a week ago. A little bit similar player. Josh is a bigger guy, but a little bit similar in that the the downfield a bit, uh, you know, uh, the downfield, uh, the downfield ability guys, right? And anyway, I, I thought it was interesting to watch some of the ways they got Cooks more involved later in the second half. They failed with him. A lot of misses on him early. Uh, and it, it seemed to be they, they struck the gold. They find the play. They found the way. They, you know what? Don't stick him in a bunch. Don't stick him in a two-by-two. Two. Don't stick him in a stack. Don't, don't create picks over there in traffic to try to find room for him. Get him away from everyone else. Give him space artificially so by the formation that you create. And uh, then let him pull himself back to the middle of the field and then zing that thing back out to the corner. And, you know, just basically use the formation. Use all the other distractions of all the other receivers, maybe even swing him the back to the other side. Get everyone away from him. Give him space on the field. And then in that one-on-one switch situation, especially if he's been given off, off coverage, you know, that's when you can let the guy go to work. I saw them break through with that with Brandon a little bit later in the game last week, and I'm thinking to myself, that's Josh Gordon. That's how to get it uh, with him. So we'll watch. Maybe that's the way they get it to him. Maybe they just press more balls his way. Remember, Jules was uh, Julian Edelman was banged up a little bit this week. Uh, I believe it was the ankle uh, that, he, that he showed up with. And, uh, you know, in those situations, remember, short week, coming home, tough division game on the road, older player, over 30. Sometimes they just give those guys a day, have to give them a designation. You know, it's something that maybe a little fluid in it or whatever, a little black and blue. And, Fills up, need the day off it, flush it, get your treatment, good to go the next day, and it's nothing to think of. But because he takes the day off, it makes everyone wonder. I have no inside information on that either. I don't, I don't like to go down that road and ask guys. So it's just, you know, he wasn't out there for one day, now he's back. Uh, does that mean that he's in a, enough limited fashion that 
uh, you know, it, it, it gets fewer targets or something. Or, or same with Gronk. I mean, we know that Rob Gronkowski's situation has been a little bit banged up with the back, a little bit of a question mark there with what's going on. Uh, and, and I wanted to make this point. I just made it on Twitter earlier today, uh, earlier on Saturday, that, you know what, um, I was surprised. I went back and watched it. I want to take some notes on a handful of different things that I thought were important to bring up here. I wanted to find out if my inclination was true or if I was dead wrong, and that happens as well. Uh, but, you know, I, I wanted to, to look at Grunk because obviously it had been a story. I'm working there for Nesson. It's things that reporters are there asking. It's stuff I'm being asked to respond to later in the week. And it's like, oh, what's going on with Gronk? You know, and a lot of we all saw the same things. We're watching that game last week, and doesn't really leap and leave the you know, leave the ground for the ball. Doesn't look terribly comfortable extending like we always have. Sort of the adjustment to off balls are not quite. You see, even just the separation in the routes hasn't been what we expect. Uh, and even without all that, he still makes several plays and affects the game very positively. But the, he's dealing with something. It's pretty obvious. And you know, there's a couple things there. I think they're listing the ankle and they're listing the back, if I'm right there. If not, apologies. But the point is, that is a, a hurt but not injured dude. Is that the, That's the way we say it, different being hurt and being injured. He's not injured to the point where he can't function, but he's hurt to the point where he ain't functioning 100%, nowhere near it. Uh, everybody's dealing with something, but he does look like he's, a dealing, like he's dealing with a little bit more. It's, it's pretty easy to see. But one of the things I want to go back and check was, you know, let, screw it. Let me watch all his plays. What's what's this guy doing? He's not in the box score like we see him. What's he doing otherwise? Is he just over there as a decoy, or is this guy actually still doing work? And it was fun to watch. Lorenzo Alexander, really good linebacker. Veteran guy, good punch to him, good thump, can rush a little bit. And uh, he's just a good pro. He's a good player. And it was fun to watch Gronk lock up with him. He's a Sam linebacker, off the ball guy. And lock and drive, getting him four or five yards off the line of scrimmage as an edge player. That means that's a good guy, Krashmia, and that's a damn good tight end who's playing with a back injury, who's still getting low, getting leverage, thumping, extending, driving, finishing. You know, and I saw him finish several blocks in that game back on film. So I'm thinking, okay, it ain't so bad that he can't do that function, which is, you know, if you're in for 60 or 70 plays and you're only getting targeted 10 times, remember, people, the arithmetics, 50 or 60 of them weren't past plays where you got targeted. You know, those, of those 50 or 60, you know, maybe you blocked on half of them. That's pretty normal for a guy. And for him to go out there and block as well as he was, knowing what he was dealing with, I'm like, well, okay, he's not dead. He's not dead. He's still out there. So he'll work through this thing. you got to assume at some point maybe the – well, not assume, but you hope that – that is, it cleans himself up. You do have a bye week coming up here in a couple weeks. Manages himself to get through to that point. We don't know to what level he'll be involved tomorrow. But if the injury clearly doesn't bother him in the inline blocking, which if it's a back injury, that's actually a little bit surprising. To be able to drive and still move dudes who are strong like you're strong. And sometimes he's dealing with even heavier people. Defensive ends away a little bit more than Gronk. So still able to do that. Still got a pulse. Still a damn good football player. Hopefully get the other part back where he's as dynamic as we all were used to as a receiver, but still out there helping the group. So that's that's important to note. So let's drive in here to really, I think, the last three. I'm going to sort of try to frame this as three things I want you to keep an eye on in the game that I think are probably your three biggest, most important things here going on in the game. Um, and it's, it's because of their, the uncertainty to them or the way I think the offense or defense swings around how successful they are in this sort of certain area. And first and foremost, we've got to look at the offensive line of the Patriots. I think it's a monster question mark going into this game. Uh, but it's a question mark with an answer that I think we can plausibly say that 
we kind of know the answer, but it'll be fun to watch it play out. Uh, because if it doesn't go well, well, then, hey, it'll be easy to point back to that thing. And that's with Shaq Mason going out. Shaq Mason going out at guard, right guard, already been ruled out. Uh, and not knowing what's going to go on at right tackle, that's a big issue. If you lose your entire right surface and change out two new bodies, even if the two new bodies are good players, that's something. It's not nothing. And because of because of the way that pairs up with some uncertainty going on in the backfield, I think you got to highlight it. I, I think we made this error, and I'm as guilty as anyone, not talking much about it in the week leading up to the Detroit game when the Patriots kind of sucked offensively that day, to be honest. And and you look back at – excuse me, offensively and defensively, it was just a bad game all around. You look at them defensively that day, and what were the two things that were gone? What were the two things that weren't there? It was Trey Flowers didn't play and Patrick Chung didn't play. And we had to say, ah, oh, you know, and just kind of skip over those little details and dive into Matthew Stafford and <laughs> Matt Patricia and – you know, uh, Marvin Jones and Golden Tate and like all the names, you know, stuff and kind of skip over that part and think that the Patriots will figure it out with depth or whatever. But not losing two of your really good players is a really big deal. You know, Trey Flowers is an absolute monster playmaker, does stuff every week that helps decide games. He's really good for the Patriots and not having him out there, you're not going to be as good. Patrick Chung, he's super important because he takes on the, your best tight end. He takes on a lot of the tackling back in the box on plays where everyone else is blocked up and the, the you know that extra player has to come down and make the play. He's super important. You take out two super important people, generally the the whole might not function as well. We got to keep an eye on for that. And that's how and, and why the hell am I bringing that up in relation to the Patriots offense? Well, because we're talking about potentially two major pieces being gone. Top offensive lineman and Shaq Mason, top back behind him and Sony Michelle, at least for the traditional run stuff. There's real uncertainty with what's going on with with the runner and what's going on with the blocking surface to the right side. You may get back Cannon this week, which would allay some of those fears. But to be honest, we shouldn't knock Lader and Waddle. He's done a pretty nice job watching back the Buffalo game. Still plays at a real nice B level, you know. And that's not to be a knock. It's, shoot, I'm a I was a backup my whole life, uh, played, but you know I'm obviously a rotational player a lot like Ladrian Waddle, so I'm not going to knock him. He's good at his craft. He's better than average, or he wouldn't be out there. But he's not a star, so you know he's not going to win every rep. He wins most of his reps, and that's what they need. You need you out, you're doing your job, was to win more often than not, help the play function. But he's not a dominant player, right? And and I think Cannon has a little, just that just that tick of a bit of ability more and a little more umph to him to, to be dominant at times, where Waddle is more efficient. Still a good player. Uh, but if Cannon's back, and, and that's an if. I mean, I, I, how many times have I said that over the last few years? Uh, he, he's If he's back and healthy and able to string it together, he's really just had a litany of different things. It's been head, it's been his calf, I believe. It's been uh, uh, just a number of different things that have been made it difficult for him to string it together and be on the field. I think it's really important that Cannon's available somehow, some way for this game because Ted Karras is getting the start at right guard, and I alluded that to that in a... Uh, in a, a tweet on Saturday that, you know what, Ted Karras did a really nice job in that game. And I think uh, it bears mentioning that I'm not going to try to say that he's Shaq Mason. They're different kinds of players. Shaq's more athletic. Shaq's a shorter guy. Shaq plays with better leverage than just about anyone out there. He gets under people. He's very athletic, gets downfield and cuts, climbs the second level. Does a great job. Ted Karras is a different pl- kind of player. Ted Karras is like a... You know, Russ, Russ Hochstein, Russ Hochstein. I got to say Russ's name right or he'll kill me. Um, <laughs> he'll bust my balls. I mean, let's put it that way and kill me. 
what am I talking about? I'm rambling here on an afternoon. But anyway, so it's uh, it's good stuff by and large. And I bring up Russ because I love Russ. Russ was a really good pro in the NFL, played for a long time. And those kind of players that can kind of do so much for your offense are, are super important. And I think Karras is like that. Russ could plug in, play left guard, right guard, and he could be your center in, in a minute. And the offense is not going to function differently for having Russ in there. Russ went out to Denver and he left here and started for some time as well. So, And I kind of look at Kara similar to that. Very aggressive guys, physical, strong people like Russ was. Maybe not quite as athletic. Obviously, Karras doesn't move in space. He's kind of like a bull chasing bunnies, you know. And that's okay. Most offensive linemen are like that. He handles the inline stuff much better. The more athletic jump-around guys on the inside might give him a little more problems. He doesn't react off of the, the twists and stuff maybe as well as Shaq Mason would. I'm saying twists when you're talking about like stunts on the inside, passing off one guy to another, working with the buddy next to you. But all that stuff, put all that aside for a second. By and large, he does his job most snaps. He does a really good job. Karras played really nice against the Bills. And the plays that, uh, the plays that he did, didn't have I think the one negative that I saw show up was not passing off one of those stunts but some of the plays he did exceptional and, and remember who he's going against a week ago Ted Karras hadn't practiced for this I mean practice as a backup and I know that part well you're, you're not getting quite the reps you're not getting to go against these kind of guys you got to dive in there and be ready and he's going against Kyle Williams he's going against Starla Latulale hopefully I did that right uh the two Jordan the two Phillips Jordan and Harrison uh Jordan being the uh I believe he's the draft pick this year but a higher pick that they seem to like up there that's an active dude for the Bills the point is they got Bills have a good defense a good front and uh he gets tossed in there and handles himself very well prizes himself very well that's something that we always said about Russ Russ didn't get to play a lot uh but when he did he played at a super high level and played for years and years and years because of that Karras to me really kind of fits that mold you go back and watch he doubles well worked well with Waddle worked well with Andrews on his other side when the moment called for it cleans pockets really well and what I mean by that is you know there's times where the guards uncovered you know you have you have somebody working over center you may have somebody working out over the tackle and maybe you're helping with the the, the guard or excuse me helping with the center with a hand you get to turn and make a choice maybe you're dealing with the off the ball linebackers flying into the line but then you just go hey I'm gonna clean shit up and Karras has kind of got that about him in those moments where he's climbing to the second level in the run game he cleans stuff up and the moments where he's uncovered and helping and able to get off he cleans stuff up uh has a lot of knockdowns he's a fun player to watch so I don't think you should have any trepidation about the fact that he's in there uh, even if he's going to be up against Mike Daniels even if he's going to be up the, against the Clark guy uh, he's good and he can do his thing Lowry uh, some other be- people might cross his face at some moment I-, I don't think you should be worried about Ted Karras but I do say that it's a question mark because they you know they have to work together and you don't you miss a few series or maybe there's a mistake or some issue in pickup those can be bumps you got to work through them but uncertainty of tackle new guy in for a full day at guard it has to be at least considered as something to talk about because you just don't know where it's going to go. So uh, let's go on here to my other little thing, and I think it's the running back situation. You have to mention it because not that there's some sort of dire issue with the direction they go, but I think the overall expected function of the offense, the point production that you got to kind of expect, can and will be dramatically different if the back situation is not as healthy as it can be. And I would kind of, we kind of go into this as I'm taping this show, knowing that, uh, that Sony Michelle is, is maybe a little bit of a 
Sonny Michel is definitely a question mark. He's since I believe it was last Saturday, he's been available for every practice. Been out there, been in his gear, been listed as limited because they know he's working through something, but he's been out there. So he's gotten a handful of practices under his belt now. And you know, so he's gotten to go through five, six sweats, whatever it was, where he gets saturated, runs around, does everything he's asked to do, has an opportunity for that knee to swell, you know, and then do the treatment, come out the next day, wake up and find it out of Oh, shit, Humpty Dumpty, all still there, right? You know, everything's been put back together. I'm good. Another day of mending, another day of healing, get it stronger, do some lifting. So, you know, it, it, he's kind of in that situation that all pros at some point get in. You had something, maybe you avoid the scare. You got to kind of manage it, work your way back up. When it's go time, you don't know. And I hate the percentage things. We use these just to try to communicate it, but it's not perfect, but just – for the purpose of a conversation, say you're 80% and you can work at the 83 and then it's 86 or whatever. But you know you're never quite at the, your full go. You know there are some limitations. There might be a particular movement, a particular way you would move, a bit of a strength loss in one particular uh, aspect of something you got to do because of that injury. But there's enough there to cobble together and still do most of your job. You're good to go. And I kind of get the sense that that might be where Michelle's at. You know, he said, I feel pretty good when, when pressed on that. And and that means, okay, he knows he probably has pain. He has probably some stiffness and some limitation in the mo- in sort of the, the, the movement he's going to get out of it. He's not going to be as spry, bouncing out of cuts. He may have to round off cuts in a certain direction because it's an MCL. Uh, but he can play. And he might have to guard it a little bit. So there may, some of the cuts you may be looking to protect that leg a little. But he may still be pretty explosive. He may still have most of his straight ahead. He may still have most of his vision. He may still feel comfortable with his feet and being able to bounce in and out of a cut. It's just there's going to be a few times, a few movements, a few different angles that have come up that might bother him a little bit. So I say all that, trying to sort of read tea leaves in a guy that's been involved in the practice portion, missed one, but worked up till the one he missed, then did a full week, seems to say that if it was his choice, he'd be out there. He did say that. And says, seems to think that if the, the coaches will make that decision, that they're ready to go. He's ready to go. So what I'm guessing, and you know, this is one of those things where the game can start, and I'll be dead wrong, and you can all laugh at me, and that's fine. <laughs> but I, I get the sense that he's uh, an on-the-edge guy. Activate him, probably because you need the insurance because it's, it, it appears they're not going to do the Kenneth Farrow thing, the guy on practice squad that would be the other back body to bring up. I don't know much about him, so I don't want to pump him up or either denigrate him, obviously, in any way. Seems to be working hard. He's stuck on the practice squad. They like him, but they must not have the comfort level yet, at least with my, my guess a day before the game, that they're jumping up to that to activate him and throw him in there for a bunch of reps. Doesn't seem to be that that's where it's at. Could be proven wrong on that one again as well. Uh, but my better guess here is that a limited but still capable and able player in, in Michelle could be active and on a a, rem, a limited rep count, where they even still include Barner. They keep the total high for James White, but Sony's active, almost as active insurance, and active to to maybe even be, decoy's the wrong word, but to let him come in and pass protect a little, which he may feel more comfortable one direction or the other, based on sort of where the knee sits and how he's how comfortable. Maybe he feels fine. Hey, man, I can go cut block in a minute, so let me protect an edge slide away from me I'll go chop the outside guy he doesn't bother me on that I can do that so sometimes that comes up hey here's what I can do here's the here's the eight out of ten things I can do like normal here's a couple I can't and get me involved because we need the body and uh, we need the depth so I'm guessing you know this ain't a fantasy play week for Sony Michelle this sort of a roundabout way to get to that point but I think it it will be helpful and important if he was up. And I think as much as anything, if you're the Packers defense across from that, it brings in some uncertainty. 
oh shit, Sony's back there. Now I'm thinking back to play sequences and want to and stuff that they did against other teams as opposed to what I saw just against Buffalo where he wasn't. So that brings in a whole different set of tendencies. That brings in a whole set of considerations. It's like, okay, they are going to go back more to the the power game stuff with him. Or maybe they'll double screen to him, not to him, then to James. Maybe they'll, you know, bring in different kind of OAs, uh, UAs, different. Uh, those are uh, letter designations for the guy that pulls and pulling scheme stuff. But, you know, the different runs that come up because Sony's in there may be different than the other guy. But I, I think it'll be helpful if he's up, and that's going to change a lot of the formula of what goes on in this game because big, big story, all that talk, they need running game. Running game super-duper important. You look back to the games where the Patriots have been best offensively, it was there and it was flying. You look to the games they struggled most offensively, it was not there. Now, one thing that came up last week, which was really cool, it's a super tip of the cap to the guy, uh, but it was limited in its effectiveness, let's put it that way. But they'd still got to get a few plays out of it. And I think that's very important because there were moments where offensively the Patriots needed something, got it, with Corderell Patterson as a back. Uh, Corderell Patterson made a few plays there as a running back, and then they got stuffed a few times. And, and I think the biggest thing that if you're a fan out there that I would love for you to understand is that you cannot judge Corderell Patterson's running ability, what he's able to do as a pure ball carrier, and sort of do a straight one-to-one comparison with some other guy in the same situation if you're not able to also do the other half of the running back job, which is to pass protect. And why does that matter? That should mean nothing to you if you've never played this game, and that's totally understandable, especially defensively. But here's the issue. If you're the linebacker on the other side of the field, if you're one of the defensive linemen staring back in the backfield going, well, what play's about to come? What makes play, what makes defensive play tough is not knowing. It's not knowing what I'm about to get. When you get that little indication prior to a snap, or even just as a snap starts to develop of what it is to come, it changes your aggressiveness to the line. It, it increases your decisiveness on either shedding a block or charging yourself into a line. Uh, it, it just it, when, it, when uncertainty is off the table, you make more plays. And when Corderell Patterson was in the game against the Bills, it was obvious, at least for a, a few of those, that holy shit, it's full man blitz. Everyone freaking charge the line. And not everyone, but I mean, everyone's still doing the responsibility. But I look more at the linebacker level because that's the guys I know more. And you could tell there was no run pass read. They were flying in line. It, it, Cordero Patterson's not there to pass protect. And that's what it would have to be. It's not just, you know, it, is it going to be run or pass? Well, all he does is you just watch him. You just, you just stare at him. And then you sprint into the line because you know you don't even have to read high hat, low hat, all that stuff with the offensive line. You, you got a real strong indication that, you know what, this is a wide receiver. Uh, if it's pass, unless he runs straight out of route right out of the backfield, which reduces the number of potential protector guys, it's probably run. And, and you saw that. You saw, I think it was uh, Moreno or Milano? Milano, Milano, Matt Milano uh, made a couple really nice plays where it was just like, uh oh, he's blitzing. I mean, Patterson's back there. And it's not fair to the back. You know, it, you, you, you might catch him a, a surprise by, you know, hit the count on what they're considering the personnel or something because it's actually a, ba- or a receiver that's playing back. Maybe you catch him off guard a few times, but if you do it too many times, then it just becomes. Hey man, this guy's a it's a pass you know that's a that's a receiver. He, and if you're going to just say, "Hey, we're not teaching him the whole offense, we're just going to hand it to him and see how he runs it." Uh the defense gets an opportunity to charge forward. So that's a that's a big deal. Uh if they are going to not have a, a Sony available or if they're going to have Sony available and still try to do the Patterson packages, it will be interesting to see and I think we can tell that by watching the game 
if he stays in for a few plays where either he releases immediately from the backfield as a pass catcher, now that's helpful too. Even though you're not in pass protection, you're just doing something other than simply getting the ball. Because if all you ever are is at home, the home back position, seven, eight yards deep there, uh, and, and getting it every time, well, everyone's just flying across, treating it almost like a goal line play. They know it's run. But if you send him out of the pattern or you allow him to protect more times to break that key, it ends up making him a much more effective runner on those handful of times you give him the ball. So let's all keep an eye on that. I think that's super important. Uh, he's clearly skilled if you get in his hands. So maybe providing some variability there will be a, a value add there in the end when it's all said and done. Now, we can't leave the show without talking a little bit about the quarterbacks. I know I'm completely obligated to do that, uh, and I'm comfortable with it, and I will. But let's put it this way. The reason I'm spending less time on that is because – I really feel like, you know, I went back and sort of checked out the season that they've had. I've gotten a tremendous amount of respect with Aaron Rodgers. This is not going to be a tongue bath. I don't need to go down that road. And we do that with Tom Brady all the time anyway. Tom's tremendous. I really get a sense that that's going to be pretty high in quarterback play out of both of them. They may be invariably sort of cancel each other out. It's not... It's not as if which you know if one quarterback plays at a 98 and the other guy plays at a 96. It's not as if the guy that played the 98 wins the game. I think there's enough evidence here of that, and and I kind of wanted to show you how this has played out. I think one of, it, it's kind of interesting to go back and look really at the season that Aaron Rodgers has had and how there isn't a ton of correlate, correlation necessarily with his biggest baddest games. Uh, statistically speaking, anyway, being wins, even for that team. And it's important here to also put this out, that the, the Packers are the 13th scoring, uh, 13th uh, ranked or whatever scoring offense in the NFL, right around 25 points a game, 13th. Uh, you know, not quite the middle of the pack, but just slightly above that, certainly not a top 10 team. Uh, so it isn't just all about Aaron Rodgers. It's about the function of the entire group. He's a big-time player, obviously. He's dealt with his knee injury. He's been limited a little bit this season, uh, but played through it with the brace on and all that kind of stuff. But it hasn't been a high-flying offense. I think people hear Aaron Rodgers and think you're you're getting some sort of offensive threat comparable to what Kansas City was. No, comparable to what the Rams have been. No, not really. Um, now, is it is it possible because he's so good that he just takes things over and has the game of his life and they win and put up 30-plus points? It's possible. But I want you to consider this. I was going to read just back some stats here. So this to me was interesting. And it's, it's why I'm so sour on just sort of dry humping stats because I don't think they really – they often fail. They often don't tell the whole story. Sexy as ever line here against Detroit. Now, Detroit for the Packers was a loss. They lost 31-23, to an eight-point loss, similar to what the Patriots' problem they had at Detroit themselves. But listen to Aaron Rodgers' line. Aaron Rodgers in that game was 32 of 52, 60%, over 61, 61% there. Uh, 442 yards passing, monster day. You love him in Madden, you love him in DFS. Life is good, life is great. Three touchdowns, no interceptions. QBR, where the fuck that is, 64-4, 108 rating. I don't even know what that shit is either. None of it really matters, and here's why. They only scored 23 points, right? So you get the sexiest, sexiest ever stat line, but it wasn't winning football. And, and one of the things that always drives me nuts about stats, and it's not to say that he played poorly and caused the lack of scoring, but invariably the quarterback position is management. It's management, game management, getting down the field. Does that really matter if you if you check to the right run play because of some front you saw and the run goes for more? Or you threw a shorter pass that doesn't score? Or you get them down there and you end up 
running it in as opposed to scoring, and then the run doesn't juice your stats, but you scored. Or you, you complete every damn ball down to the 15-yard line, but the drive stalls and you don't score. Yeah, well, stats aren't going to show that. They can show a bunch of completions and how much yards to get to that point. So I often think that too much focus on those stats doesn't tell enough of the story, and here's why. Against Buffalo, they did win. And oh, excuse me, I, I shouldn't do the Buffalo game. I think the better, I think the better contrast here is is San Francisco. In the San Francisco game, he's also sexy as hell. Twenty five for forty six, but down a bit in completion percentage. Remember, we said sixty one in the other game, just fifty four in this, but still well over four hundred yards, four twenty five. Wow, they've won, and it, two interceptions, no picks. All those QBRs and Rady things look great or whatever. But again, who gives a rat's ass? The point of this is, is those other than the completion percentage thing there, it's essentially the same game. And in one, they generate 33 points and win. And the other, they generate 23 and lose. But both stat lines look tremendous. So if all if I was going to sit here and do a podcast with you guys and pump up that what Aaron Rodgers does and how they control Aaron Rodgers is going to be the difference in this game, I'd be a lying asshole because the analysis doesn't hold up that way. Because I got some stats, you know, you got a performance here in front of you that says, shit, the guy threw for 440 and three picks. Or excuse me, three touchdowns, no picks, clean as hell. And they also scored 20, 23 points and didn't win. So that isn't it. That's not the answer. Invariably, it's game management. You're going to get a bunch of yards to go with the scores? Great. If you don't, it doesn't matter. But putting up the bigger number by making decisions down the field, not taking sacks, I think that's one of the bigger issues Rodgers has uh, compared to Brady, if you want to play that whole game, and I don't want to spend a podcast on that. But he takes a lot more sacks, and people love the way he runs around. He can certainly pick it down, take off, and and, and make plays on the run and also pick up some more more conversions with his legs. He's really good at that. But he also takes a lot worse sacks. And and I think he's he's a more sacked guy, not because of the quality of the of the line play he gets, but because of the chances he takes. So it's still a management job. It's still I think the story of the game is more than just if that guy's stat line is gross, they win. If that guy's stat line is poor, you won. No, not really. There's just going to be more to it than that, so I wanted to focus on some of the other stuff. Now, let's look at the one thing, though, with Rodgers that I care about. Not the completion percentage, not the number of yards. Total offensive output, that's what matters, and that comes more through red zone stuff. Red zone, situational wins, how do you play in the matters it mo- it matters, and the times it matters most. Did he happen to throw it across the line and get you know credit for the touchdown? Or did someone else run it in? That shit don't matter. So if he gets a touchdown in the touchdown line, yay. If he doesn't, yay. It doesn't matter. Because if he manages, Rodgers manages them down the field into scores, it counts the same if he threw it in or not, right? People, just please be fans of the sport and get that, get that subtle point. But what I do care more about is the way he controls conversions. And can the Patriots control him from controlling game tempo and the way drives are extended with his legs? And, and what... Aaron Rodgers has to have been licking his chops with with the Patriots is that tape against Mitch Trubisky from a couple weeks ago. And Trubisky is not as good a runner as Rodgers, but Rodgers isn't really a Russell Wilson either. He's more a keep things alive or take it off and go in a straight line. Step up on an interior uh, vacancy. Guys getting too far up the field and just passing his left or right ear on the inside stepping forward and going to get the run, and he's really smart and really good at getting down quick into a slide. 
I think this is going to be a game where if you want to talk about anything relating to Aaron Rodgers, it's not some highlight throw. It's how many times does he steal a possession? How many times do you prevent him from stealing the possession? How many times do you cover it up early, entice him into a run, and get him down before he gets across the line? Third and six, he drops back, quick trigger, steps forward, and you tackle him a yard or two short. That's a huge win. But I think how this Patriots rush front uh, on those third and longer situations, even on the second and longer, any situations where you allow him to recreate the series with something he does on an individual effort, that's a big deal. And again, I put all that shit outside the stupid box score stat line. I care about that much less. I care about more with his great high-level management ability and how you keep him from ruining games that way. Uh, And I think that's really something to keep an eye on. I think you can look back to the Trubisky stuff. Part of that is really just coordination of rushers. So getting the right four in. We haven't seen as much Dietrich-wise. You guys know I feel really strongly about that guy. He's had a relatively low rep count over the last month. He's been at 10 plays or less. I think when he gets more involved, it's a good thing. But remember, he played with a broken hand, so maybe that's part of it. Uh, But Trey Flowers playing at a super high level, paired with maybe Wise, paired with Adrian Claiborne, but Adrian playing a more disciplined edge. And your interior guys, if it's Butler, if it happens to be uh, Brown, Malcolm Brown, if it happens to – whoever it happens to be, get the interior guys that are the most disciplined about press, 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 shedding, and the ability to retrace and make that play. Up the field, pass this guy, he'll kill you. Uh, they need to come up with John Simon maybe getting more involved. Derek Rivers having a role somehow, some way. But athletic guys that don't just get swallowed up by the real big physical uh, offensive line of the Packers. Finding the right combination of four and maybe having Kyle Van Noy get involved somehow, some way there. Maybe Hightower as an add-in. However they can figure. We can't do that on a podcast. But handling pocket control. Handling the pocket resets, handling, uh, handling the guy that can ruin things that away, and then throw a tremendous ball off of it, which is, is again what elevates him to being one of the better ones ever. But I think that's way more important than some stat line he comes up with. I'll pl- leave with this one last thought: uh, Devontae Adams is far and away the most productive Packer. I mean, he's as far as the passing game stuff. Devontae Adams, let me look at his season stats here, and is a good example. Last week they lose. Uh, well, let me go to game log. We'll go to game log here with Devontae Adams. Look at his season. And he's really one of the good examples of not doing sort of a, here's a key to the game and looking to their biggest player and saying, well, the the key to the game is to keep the biggest player from having a big day. Sometimes there isn't win correlation there. Sometimes it kind of doesn't matter. Let them run free with the stats, but just don't let them score on you. Don't let them you keep them from the game changing plays. Maybe it's third and 15. You let them catch a 13 yard or whatever. The stat sheet's not going to know the difference on that, but the winning and losing portion portion, they'll, they'll know, right? You'll know because here's a great example. Devonte Adams, very good player. I'm not saying go out and let him just run all over you. What I'm saying, stopping him and stopping his stat line, stopping Roger's stat line, that doesn't hold up if you go back and review both tape and box score. So here's an example. This guy's had some monster games this year. Remember, they won in the game against San Francisco. Has 10 catches, 132 yards, two touchdowns. And so, you know, maybe it blows my point up there. Says, oh, man, this guy's great. Devontae Adams plays big like that. You're not going to win. You know, you got to stop that guy. Well, well, then here's a loss again. The loss to Detroit, they lose. He goes for 140 in a touch. 140, his biggest yardage day of the year is in a loss. So I, I think that really muddies the water that you can't go out and say, man, you got to stop Devontae Adams. He had 133 in a loss to the Rams you know, a week ago. So it isn't just keep the biggest 
most productive guy from being big and most productive. It's not that. It's situational wins because that is the world we live in now in the NFL. Defensive players have a hard time keeping yardage down against offensive players because they're allowed to run free. No jamming. No illegal contact of any kind. Just You get a run free like recess. Uh, you just have to be able to hit them, get the ball off, and get into turnovers. And that was my transition attempt into the final point. You want to know why Buffalo game was better? Not just because Buffalo has been struggling offensively, although clearly that helps and we're being fair here. The best thing that the Patriots did, and it's it's irrespective of going there and not having a blow-up day as far as yards and touchdowns and all those kinds of things offensively, they played clean football. They went on the road to Buffalo and didn't turn it over once and got two turnovers. They end up plus two. And it was the ugly play over several weeks that had kept teams like Kansas City in the game. Uh, you give up the giant kick return. You have a couple shambly sort of situations, sacks and things like that, giving back plays. You have the picks, the ugly pick. We had the ugly pick uh, two weeks ago. Uh, we're you know, trying to complete a ball late to a fullback and ends up as an interception. I think, I think if you look at, the, the, again, the maturation you're looking, sort of the steps you need to see them take to, to put this thing together in winning team football is getting those contributions from all sides. Obviously, the special teams need to be clean and then also give the big bumps like they did in the Bears game. That's obviously super helpful. But also get to the situation consistently where the D is getting one, maybe two each and every week, and the offense isn't giving any back. Not giving any back is way more important than the number of touchdowns, right? So I think you, you, you work your way up to 19-point wins a week ago. That's a requirement that works just fine or you know an output that works just fine against that particular opponent. You're going to need to be complete, cleaner, probably generate at least one or two more scores, uh, you know, six-pointers uh, against the Packers because you've got to presume they're going to put up a 20-something number. That's generally where they've sat amongst the rest of their opponents this season. But what aids you more than any of that stuff is not giving it back. And if you give it back a couple times, wow, that is a good team. You know, or no, it's not a great team this year. They're an average team with a record, but they've got explosive ability. They've got the ability to put it on you quickly because of that quarterback and some of the skill guys he has around him. So clean football. Offensive uh, line issues getting answered. The running back situation getting cleaned up. Defensively working great. I want that pocket work with Aaron. Not giving back the free ones, especially on those third downs, especially in the scoring area. Those are the big things. But by and large, I gave you some minutiae. I gave you some things to hopefully enhance your sort of viewing experience when you watch the game and your understanding of the game in the aftermath. Uh, That's really what the Real Thing Patriots podcast is all about. Um, and that's just going to be the end of this week's show, but it's, uh, it's been fun. I enjoy these kinds of talks. Any of these questions or things that came up, obviously hit me up on, on Twitter uh, at Chatham 58 in game, pregame, all that kind of stuff. I'm pumping here our pregame chat, uh, the show that we do, um, uh, for Nesson, uh, that we stream live on Nesson.com that we also stream on their Facebook page. So get it on your digital device. You can sit and watch it. You don't have to care what's on TV those hours before the game. Um, and I think that's fun. We're going to get Doug Kyd and I and Zach, Zach Cox. Oh, that wasn't meant to, I didn't say Cox. I wasn't trying to pronounce his name odd. I had a little burp here. I'm drinking a little uh, Harpoon Duncan coffee porter today with the show. It's been good to me. So anyway, with those guys, we'll be diving in to really – Oh, shit, the beer just overflowed. You don't hear that often on a podcast, but that's the sound of a fuzzy new beer exploding all over the floor. That's unfortunate, but I'm this, the, the seams are coming apart here at the end of 
this thing, and we got to get out of it. But that was the Real Thing Patriots podcast. Check out that pregame chat. We'll dive into some of these details that we talked about today and maybe even unveil a new detail or two. I believe with the 820 game, we'll be on the air round six. Check my chitter. Jitter. Twitter feed. Wow, we're off the rails here. Twitter feed for when that show will be. But as always, thanks for checking in to the Real Thing Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. Enjoy that game. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.